That's what it means sometimes to be a father. You got this. Good to see you this morning. Time of worship together. Back in the summer and back in the swing of things here this summer. Uh, last week we started a new series, if you weren't here. Uh, that's going to go on through all the month of July and through and into August or part of August. Uh, talking about the whole thing of relationships and how God wants us to have the kind of, right kind of relationships. And uh, I shared last week, and I kind of review a little bit, that there's this myth going around in our culture that uh, if, if uh, you just find the right person, that you'll live happily ever after. You do know that's a myth, right? I mean, how many of you... No, I'm not going there. Um, I was going to say no from experience, but uh, um, I mean, how many of us you know, realize that's true? That's, you know, just finding the right person. And we talked about so often we think we find the right person that that's going to happen. Well, no, it's, it's being the right person. Uh, you may have, many of us start off with this ideal, I-D-E-A-L, this ideal of a relationship that we're going to have. I mean, in junior high, we have this idea, maybe in high school, even in college, sometimes we have this ideal of this ideal relationship. And then when we actually get into that ideal relationship and we get married, sometimes it becomes an ordeal. And then if things don't work out the way we'd like for it to, it becomes a new deal. And um, the best of relationships go through ups and downs. We've, we find that to be true. The reason, and I talked about this last week and I'll talk about it again this week, is that you and I married a human being. We married an imperfect person. We got into relationships. We have friends that we have relationships with that are imperfect people, and they are in a relationship with an imperfect person. Sometimes, you know, in relationships, people get sick, we argue, we have misunderstandings, sometimes we're inconsiderate, sometimes things just don't go right. Life is, a, is not a constant honeymoon. Um, some days, to be honest, are just a complete disaster. But, you know, people often say, and I've heard this before, I've heard people often say, I just want to be happy in a relationship. I just want to be happy. And that's great. That's, it's, it's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, right? It's, it's good. The problem with that is that happiness de- depends upon happenings. That's what the root is from. And the, actually, the root word, the word, root of happiness, hap, the word hap means luck or happenstance. Uh, you're just lucky, fortunate to be happy. Happiness, in a real sense, is external. And what we need in a relationship is, yeah, moments of happiness, but really what we need is not happiness. What we need is joy, because joy is totally different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances, and when they change, we're not happy anymore. But joy is based upon choices that we make, and we're going to talk about that today. Now, joy, let me give you a definition of joy, then. Joy is the positive confidence I feel from knowing and trust in God regardless of the circumstance. Let me say that again. Joy is the positive confidence I feel from knowing and trusting God regardless of the circumstance. And the reason we're talking about joy today is because of this. Uh, we started this last week. This series is based upon one, one passage of Scripture out of Galatians. That so often we look at it in one way, but I'm using it to talk about relationships. In Galatians 5 it says, But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives. Now, let's stop there. It's when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, and that means we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. The Holy Spirit doesn't force himself upon us. When Christ comes into our life, it's a choice, and it's a choice for us to let the Holy Spirit control our lives. It says, but when it does, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. The Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in us. And then he gives us this list of what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And so we began last week with the first of these fruits of the Spirit and how it works out in relationship. And the first thing we talked about was love. This week we're talking about joy. Now, I have found in life that we have, have things what we call, uh, things that kind of kill our joy, and we actually have a word for that. They're called what? Killjoys. Uh, killjoys. Things that kill our joy in life. And in relationships, let me, I just want to give you kind of as a preface to the day. This is not in your notes. This is different parts. So if those who keep notes, this is not the part you start writing filling in the blanks, okay? Just hold on. We'll get there. But this first part I want to talk about is three relational killjoys. Because anytime you're having problems in a relationship, I will guarantee you it's one or more of these three things. Usually a combination of the three. So what are the relational killjoys, the things that kill our joy in relationships? Number one is selfishness. Selfishness. In James chapter 4, it says this, where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your desires, which is constantly fighting with your bodies. You strongly desire things that you cannot get, uh, but you cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight. What's James saying here? He's saying the thing that'll kill our joy, the thing that'll kill a relationship, the root of problem of relational difficulties is a, is a power struggle between two selfish, insecure people. And basically, what's the solution for that? It's what we tell our kids all the time. Grow up. We need to grow up because selfishness and insecurity are things that are, that are immature things in our life. And we need to grow up in our relationship. We need to stop being so self-centered. We need to think of your mate, your partner, your friend rather than just yourself. And we hear people all the time. And you, uh, you know, I've heard people all the time say, well, I have my rights. Yeah, you do. But when you start focusing on them, what you do is you end up competing with people rather than complimenting people. And the truth is, let's just be honest, and I hope we can be honest here because this is church and you're supposed to be honest, okay? Yeah, you don't have to be honest anywhere. No, you do. You're supposed to be honest everywhere. But, you know, the thing is this. The truth is, you and I are naturally self-centered. Are you naturally self-centered? Let's not take a survey this morning. Do not raise your hands or do anything. I'm naturally self-centered, and you are naturally self-centered. Let me prove it to you this morning. If I were to take my iPad here, which has my notes on it, I'm not going to do this right now because I'll probably get lost and kind of have to find my way back to my notes. But if I were to take this morning, this works just like an iPhone or any kind of phone now. And I put it on the phone mode. And I took pictures of this section, and 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 threw it up on the screen. Who would you look for first? <laughs> I guarantee you, I know the answer to that question. You would look for you. You would go, and based upon how you look in that picture, would, would be your, your, your judgment about how good that picture is. You know, really. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's a great picture if everything looks good, you look good, you're smiling, you know. But if, you got, if you're cross-eyed or your finger's up your nose, it's a terrible picture, right? See, it doesn't matter if everybody else looks good, it's just all about me. It's all about me. I mean, we do that all the time. We live in this selfie generation, you know? Let's have a million pictures of me. Let's put them on Facebook so everybody can look at me. Man. 
I appreciate the first service. Uh, one of the young ladies, uh, teenager, went out the door. She showed me her shirt. And I can't remember exactly what it says. And it was multiple things like, it's all about me. It's about me. It's about me. You know, just, she just had it right on her shirt. And I'm going like, wow, I wish I had one of those for first service. I said, if, you, if I'd have known you had the shirt on, I got you to stand up here and show us, you know. But no, I wouldn't do that to her. But the thing is, Jesus says the root, uh, James says the root of our relational difficulties is a power struggle. Now, if you want to restore joy in relationships, guess what you got to do? You got to get the focus off of yourself and get it back on other people in the relationship. James 3.16 says, wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every other kind of evil. In other words, what James is saying is this. He's saying, you can't be joyful and jealous at the same time. They're incompatible. Selfishness undermines relationships. So so the thing that'll kill the joy in relationships, number one, is selfishness. Number two is resentment. Number two is resentment. Another killjoy of relationships, the thing that'll kill joy in relationships is resentment. Um, In other words, um, resentment says, I won't forgive you. That's what resentment says. Uh, We hurt each other in relationships, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But what you do with that hurt makes a difference whether you're joyful or you're miserable. Nothing destroys a relationship faster than resentment. Uh, See, look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. People, and we talked about this last week, and kind of as a review a little bit here, people say all the time, I just don't love them anymore, I just don't have any feelings for her anymore, I feel empty inside, I have this emptiness, and it's not hate, it's just I don't feel anything. And I always know when I hear that, that resentment has been involved somehow, because resentment eats up emotional energy. It just sucks the life out of a relationship, resentment does. What happens is you spend all your time resenting the fact that they hurt you some way, and pretty soon you have no emotional energy left, and you feel empty inside since you have no joy. People say, well, this is not what I expected in a relationship. Uh, I really feel cheated in the relationship, you know. And and I ask the question then, what gives any of us the right or the thought that we deserve a perfect mate? How many of you think you deserve a perfect mate? Guess what? They didn't get one. And so the reality is the fact is, this is the fact, not to say this last week, I said it again. The fact is that marriage and any kind of relationship, friendship, is based on two very imperfect people trying to work on it. But if you just expect perfection and don't work on it, you're going to lose your joy. Proverbs 11 says, the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. He's saying that if you refuse to forgive, you're only hurting yourself. Resentment always hurts you more than it does anybody else. That's the second killjoy. The third killjoy is this, and this is something that happens many times, fear. Fear. Fear says, I won't trust you anymore. Maybe because you've been hurt, when fear builds up in your life, the joy goes out of a relationship. It says this in Proverbs 12. It says, an anxious heart weighs down a man. Fear causes us to build walls instead of building bridges. Fear causes us to encase ourselves almost in an isolation booth uh, that says, I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me. And so sometimes we shut down. We talked about this last week that that, um, love has risk to it. 
Real love has risk to it. We risk being hurt, and the reality is we will be hurt in relationships because, once again, we have two imperfect people coming together in a relationship, and because of that, we do things imperfectly, and when we do them imperfectly, guess what? The result is not always the way we'd like for it to be. And so, so often people have fear. They have fear of emotional intimacy, fear, fear of, uh, 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 of all kinds of things, but when there is no emotional intimacy, guess what happens? There is no joy. It just doesn't happen. 1 John 4.18 says this, Fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. This is from the Phillips translation. You may never have read the Phillips translation. J.B. Phillips uh, wrote, uh, wrote a translation of the scripture years ago. I love it because it's got a little bit different way of saying things. I actually had to go on my shelf and pull off a physical book off my shelf that had this on. It wasn't even on, on uh, uh, version, But it says, Fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. The one who lives in fear has not yet had his love perfected. It's saying you can't have love, you can't have joy, you can't have any of these things in a relationship if you're to- totally fearful. Fearful people cannot give love and cannot receive love because they're saying, I'm afraid I'll be hurt again. Now, fear does three things to relationship. relationships. Relationships, number one, it, fear makes me defensive. Fear makes you defensive. I can't admit a fault because I'm afraid that will make you better than me. I don't feel good about me, so I certainly don't want you to feel good about you. Fear also makes us distant. If I tell you what I'm really like, guess what? That's all I am. And if you don't like it, I'm, I'm, out, of, I'm out of luck. So the fear of rejection makes me distant, and I won't allow you to get close to me, and I won't really tell my true feelings. Fear makes me demanding. When I'm afraid, I must always be in control. That's what people that are in control really have a problem with. Control freaks are people who are fearful. You're afraid of losing control of something in life. See, when I'm afraid, I have to call the shots. When I'm afraid, I've got to have the last word. I've got to show who's on top. I've got to make sure I'm in control. That's basic insecurity. And so that's what happens. These three things together, these three killjoys, just drive drive everything out of of the possibility of joy out of a relationship. Now, the day we want to talk about this, how do you overcome these killjoys? Those things that squeeze the joy out of relationships. So when I, now, for those of you who take notes, this is the point you can actually, the th- three fill in the blanks, this is where it's at, okay? Just let you know, okay? Somebody laughs, that's not, that's not in there. And they were feverishly trying to find it, like they turned their bulletin over and they're going, no, it's not in there, the first part. So now we come to the part you can actually fill in the blanks, the next three, okay? So those of you who are, like to have all your notes taken, all your uh, uh, T's, crossed and your eyes dotted, this is for you, okay? All you control freaks. Okay. No, it's all right. What are the antidotes to, to three killjoys? They all begin with the word focus. The key to joy is perspective. The way you look at a problem, the way you look at marriage, the way you look at a friendship, the way you look at a partnership, the way you look at a problem will determine whether you're miserable or whether you're joyful. Perspective is a choice. So, I don't know if you've ever heard of, I've, I've seen a couple of letters like this before. This is a great illustration. I don't know if it's true or not true. It's great creative writing anyway. Um, this is an illustration. It's a letter from a college student to her parents. Um, let me just read to you, Okay. Dear Mom and Dad, it's a girl. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing. 
Unfortunately, all of my stationery was destroyed the night our dorm was set on fire by the demonstrators. This is obviously an old days. This is way before, you know, you know email and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say I should be fine soon. A wonderful boy who rescued me from the fire kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm was rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised, Mom, when I tell you we're going to be married. In fact, since you've always wanted the grandchild, you'll be glad to know that next month you'll be grandparents. On the bottom of the letter, she writes this. Please disregard the above, in, uh, the above practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I don't even have a steady boyfriend. However, I did, did get a D in French and an F in chemistry, and I wanted you to be sure that you received this news in the proper perspective. <laughs> After all of that, everything sounds good, right? I'm going, I don't know if that was true or not, but I'm going like, wow, I'd love to th- thought of that back when I was in school. I sent that letter to my parents. Um, they probably had a heart attack. But uh, perspective makes all the difference whether you're going to uh, have, be joyful or miserable, right? It really does. So how do you have joy in your relationships? Three things. Number one, focus on giving rather than receiving. Focus on giving rather than receiving. Now, we talked about this last week. You know what this is called? This is what the Bible calls love, giving rather than receiving. The Bible says that God is love, that God is a giver, that every good gift comes from God. Matter of fact, the Bible says in one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, what does it say? That God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. God's a giver. Love is expressed in giving. Not in receiving, in giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love is giving. It's, rather, it's giving rather than receiving. Acts 20 to 35 says, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. And if you just want to go through Scripture and read it over and over, there's tons of Scriptures that talk about this issue, about the importance that we are made as givers. I mean, we tend to know this. I mean, don't you know this when you give something, you do something for someone else, and you give of your time or you give of your resources, how good it makes you feel? We're made that way. We're wired that way. So why, why do we go against that? Well, because culture tells us that, no, that's not the way it is. See, the first key to joy in a relationship is you've got to, fo- got to focus on somebody else rather than yourself. A lot of what is called love today really isn't love. I mean, if you put a whole list of what we call in, in secular music love songs out there, I would recategorize it with another four-letter word, not love. The other four-letter word would be L-U-S-T, lust. Okay? Because most of the songs are based on that kind of love, which we'll describe in just a minute. The thing is, is that you give this to me. Lust is based on getting. And so when culture says that's what love is really all about, and we believe that, what happens is we talked about this last week, why are so many marriages falling apart at such a rapid rate today? Because society has trained us to do the exact opposite of this first step. Society says, look out for number one. And I'm going to tell you this, that's a great way to be miserable. You think that's what makes you happy, but it's a great way to be miserable. Society says, it's all, it's got, all got to do with me. What's best for me? What's in it for me? And the reason why so many people are in poor relationships today is that they are built on the wrong kind of love. 
And they have no joy. That kind of relationship has no joy in it whatsoever. There are three kinds of love. The first two don't work. And and we talked about these at length last week, but let me review these once again and refine them a little bit even more. The first type of love I call, I love you if. I love you if. It's called conditional love. It's, 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 I love you if you please me. I love you if you provide certain financial gain. I love you if you give me certain status. I love you if you do things the, one, the way I want you to. The problem is, what happens if the if changes? A lot of people get married on I love you if, then it changes and what happens? The relationship's over. Because we think that's what gives us happiness and joy in our relationship, but it doesn't. Conditional love. The second type of love I'll describe is better, but not much. It's called I love you because. I love you because. I love you because you're good looking. I love you because you're talented. I love you because you're a great person. I love you because you do things for me. Uh, but once again, what happens if somebody comes along that matches the qualifications and does them even better? Because you'll always find somebody that's true of. What if you find somebody who's smarter, who's prettier, more handsome, wealthier, or pays more attention to you? Then what happens in that relationship? The love dies. The relationship dies. The type of love that we're talking about, the type of love that leads us to joy, is the type of love, the third type of love. And I call this, I love you, period. I love you, period. This is the love that focuses on giving rather than receiving. It's almost, it's almost like this, and I hate to say this, but I will. It's almost, I love you in spite of. You're going, really? Yeah. I love you in spite of the fact that you're not a perfect human being. I love you in spite of the fact that you don't have it all together. I love you in spite of the fact that there may be somebody out there better looking than you. I love, I love you in spite of the fact that there's people more talented or smarter out there. I love you, Period. That's the kind of love God wants us to have. You know, the most beautiful woman in the world could walk in here today and be the, the, the brilliant and be the spiritual giant, and that would not change my relationship with my wife one bit because I've decided to love her, period. It's a choice. And you and I have to understand, that's the kind of love that makes us... Uh, you know, I thought about this recently, and I, you know, I shared last week, just got back from visiting my parents and, and our, our family, and... My dad is, you know, early stages, I think, I really believe he is, early stages of uh, de- dementia. And if not that, it's all the drugs he's on is causing him to really be a, not a fun person anymore. And my mom, they've been married for 62 years. And uh, I know because they've been married one year longer than I am old. <laughs> and I'll turn 61 soon. And, and I think about that, and, and, and I realize, you know, I'm, I, I feel bad for my mom, and I'm going like, but you know, my mom loves my dad, period. It's not based on how easy it is. And some of you have aging parents who are just really difficult, and, and you're going like, oh man, how do they get along? You've got to have that kind of love. I love you, period. Second Peter 1 says this. It says, learn, learn, circle that. Learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them, it's kind of a process. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. 
Notice it says you've got to learn this. This is not something natural. This is, doesn't come natural to us. The problem is that relationships grow after we've got them established. We don't put as much emphasis into maintaining them as we should. Guys, I'll just be honest with you. This is Father's Day, okay? I'm just going to just rip you right now, okay? Ripping me as well. The reality is, guys, we have this thing. We're goal-oriented. And when we get, have a relationship and we, get, we work toward this, the prize, you know, in a relationship and the prize is what? Get her down the aisle. No, there's other prizes too. But I know. But the reality is, is we get married and guess what? We've reached our goal. And then so often what happens is, is we kind of like all the romance and all the stuff we did early on to, 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 to win the prize. Guess what we do? We don't maintain it as well as we used to a lot of times. And we have to be reminded of that. And so often, guys, what we'll do is we'll go, and, and then we'll get to the place in our life where we think now, okay, we've reached that goal. We've gotten married. Now the goal is to maintain the relationship. And what we have to do is to maintain a good job so we can supply the, the, the needs of the relationship. Not realizing there's a lot of needs that have nothing to do with money. And so we start focusing on that as well. But if we would just focus upon maintaining the relationship as well as much as we would on, on and get women, I don't know. I'm not a woman, so I don't know how this works with you guys, girls, excuse me, you know. You tend to do a little bit better with that. I'm not telling you to do it perfectly either. But but because we're all selfish in some extreme, we kind of focus upon reaching our goals and doing things. I kind of love what um, I read this a while back. I don't know where I got it from. I've had it in a file for years. Um, it, the, it talks about the five stages of marriage. It kind of describes how we do this and how we don't do a very good job of maintaining relationships. The first, the first year of marriage, this is, a, uh, uh, this is a, a guy talking to his wife. He says, he says, the first year of marriage, baby darling, I'm worried about that sniffle you have. I've called the paramedics to take you to the hospital for a checkup and some rest. I know you don't like hospital food, so I'll bring you meals from Applebee's. That's the first year of marriage. Second year of marriage, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Johnson to make a house call. Let me tuck you into bed. Still not bad. Okay. Third year of marriage. Honey, you look like you got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself down to the clinic and get some medicine and I'll watch the kids. Fourth year of marriage. Look, woman, be sensible. After you fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, you ought to get some sleep. Fifth year of marriage. <laughs> Woman, for Pete's sake, would you stop coughing? I can't hear the television. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but sadly, it's so true in so many cases. See, it's a choice. If you want to have joy in relationships, it's not about getting, it's about, it's about giving. Focus on giving rather than receiving. And you wonder why there's no joy in your relationship anymore. The focus probably has shifted from how can I serve you to you serve me. Joy comes from making other people happy. God designed it that way. And some of you will go like, well, you know, Pastor, I understand that. That's a great theory. But the reality is when I come home from work in the afternoon, I am just worn out. I don't have anything else to give. You know something? That's the human condition. But let me tell you a secret. That's why you need Jesus Christ on a daily basis because he says, I will give you the power to live life in the way I want you to if you'll follow me. He said, I will allow you to have love the way you want to because it says, remember going back to what it says in Galatians, it says what? 
It says, when the fruit of the Spirit, you're controlled by the fruit of the Spirit, he will produce in your life these things. You don't have to make it happen. It produces. He produces it in your life. That's why we need his power to give love when human love and energy runs out. Second way to have joy in a relationship is, number two, is focus on healing rather than hurting. Focus on healing rather than hurting. If you have relationships, and like I said this last week, I'll say it again, I'll probably say it next week, you're going to be hurt. There will be misunderstandings, there will be conflict, there will be apathy, there will be inconsiderate remarks. Yes. There will even people, even with people you love deeply. And how you handle the hurt will make the difference between whether you have joy or whether you have resentment in your life, in your marriage, or your relationships. The problem is this, and I think all of us know this, but we, I'm just reminding you of stuff you already know. The problem is that it is human nature to hold on to our hurt, is it not? We hold on to hurts. Rather than t- just taking a hurt and then dropping it, we hold on to it. We revel in it. We rehearse it in our minds. If somebody came to you and slandered you today, they would say it one time. But how many times would you rehearse it in your head? A hundred times? A thousand times? I remember years ago learning this the hard way, that how, how hurtful that is in our life. Because I'd been in ministry about three or four years in, in a church. I was doing student ministry in a church and, and discipleship ministry in a church and on a staff. And I received a letter. Then the first clue would should have been that when I received the letter on it, it had no return address. But I read it anyway. And at the end, guess what? There wasn't. There wasn't a signature, so I had no way of knowing where that letter came from. And this was in, early on in ministry when I did everything perfect. You know, I mean, I had no issues. Do you believe that? No. Because I am imperfect. But I don't even know where the issue came from, who this came from. I couldn't even figure it out. But I, guess what happened? They wrote this letter, and then I rehearsed it in my mind a thousand times. And I just, it ate at me for months. Twice other, two other times in ministry, I've received letters like that over the last 35 years. Guess what I did to the next two letters that came? Number one, no return address. First thing I do is look at the bottom. Is there, is there, an address, there's there a name? No ad, name. File 13. It goes out the door. I don't read it. I don't, I don't have time for that kind of garbage. Because the reality is, is see, we, hold, we tend to, to, to rehearse things, even when they're not even true. Colossians 3.13 says this, be gentle and ready to forgive. Never, 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 never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We talked about this last week about how the only way we can really truly forgive others is to remember how much God has forgiven us for. And when we do that, we realize that we have nothing, nothing that someone could do to us that would be even close to what we've done for God and to God. There's no value in rehearsing pain over and over. And for your own sake, quit rehearsing your pain over and over. Choose to release it. And I love what it says in Romans 5. It says this. We can be full of joy here and now. Now, some of us think, you know, you know if I do all these things in heaven, I'll, be, and I'll get my reward in heaven. Right? I mean, but it says, no, I can, I can be full of joy here and now. Even in our trials and troubles. These very things will give us patient endurance. This, in turn, will develop a mature character. One of the ways that makes it easier to handle a hurt in our relationship 
is this. It's always easier to handle a hurt when you know that God can use it for good in your life. You can handle it better that way, knowing that something good's going to come out of this, because the reality is this, and we've talked about this before, if you've been here more than a few months, that what do we learn from the most? Good times or bad times? Disney World or whatever the worst thing you can think of. <laughs> we always, I don't know something, folks, I just don't learn much from the good times. You know, I, I, hopefully I praise God for the good times. But the reality is, is I don't learn much. I, I learn a lot more from the tough times. And so it's easier to handle. It says you can be full of joy here and now, even in our trials and troubles. Why? Because we know that God is working in the midst of that. He's, he, he, even in our problems, uh, he, he, can, he can use it for a positive, positive thing. How? Because he can build character. If I choose to respond in the right way, he builds character into my life. He wants to grow me up to be mature in all things. See, life is a series of problem solving. Did you know that? <laughs> That's what life is. It's a series of problem solving because it's a test for eternity and it's a chance to build character. If the only time that you learn to have joy in your relationships is when you've got all your problems solved, guess what? You will not have joy. Because once again, you and I have a relationship with an imperfect person, and they do as well. And because of that, there will be problems. We make enough of our own without even allowing all the other stuff outside to come in. So, What's joy? Joy is the confidence of knowing and trusting God regardless of the circumstances. You don't have to wait for all your problems to be solved, but you look at the good at, at what you've got, not what you don't have, and you can be joyful even in the tough times. And that's where joy is learned, in the tough times. Third thing, third, third way to have joy in relationships is this. Focus, we need to focus on God's power rather than my problems. Focus on God's power rather than my problems. Psalm 62 says, trust in God at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. For God is our refuge. God is in control. He can repair the unrepairable. He can control the uncontrollable. He can help where it doesn't look like think there's any hope in a situation. The Bible says time and again, he'll help you if you trust him. If you let him have your life, focus on his power rather than your problem, you can have joy. See, if you focus on, on your problem, you're going to be miserable. You will. You will be miserable if you focus on your problem. But God says and when you go through a tough time, what you need to do is turn to him first. He will give you the power to start over. God is the, is the God of the second chance. And in Psalm 56, it says this, when I'm afraid, where do we turn to? I will worry about it. That's what we should put out our, as our life first. When, it's, when I'm afraid, I will... No, it says, when I'm afraid, I will trust you. And I love what it says. And I've always... I used to think this was a strange verse, but it's not on, your, it's not on the screen on the outline. But in Philippians 4.4, 4, I thought about this later. It says, Paul wrote these words. He says, always be joyful in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Or you may have a translation that says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I go like, how is that possible no matter what's going on? How can I rejoice? Does that mean I'm like a cheerleader in a rainstorm? You've been there, right? Been to, you know, football game, Metamore, Washington, wherever it is, you know? 
And you're out there, and it's raining like crazy, or it's snowing. Around here, it snows, you know. And, and it's snowing, and the cheerleaders are out there, and they're jumping, go, team, go. And they are smiling, and their hair's just like, they look horrible because, I hate to say that, but they do, you know. And you're going like, you know, that's, is that joy? No, 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 that's fake. You know, that's like, this is what I've been trained to do. Let's make the crowd happy regardless of the circumstances. That's not joy. That's not what he's talking about. Always be joyful in the Lord in every circumstance. What Paul, where was Paul when he wrote this? Philippians. He was in prison. For goodness sakes, he was in prison. He was about ready to be executed. He was writing to the Philippian church. And guess what this is called? This, this is called the book of joy. 19 times in the book of Philippians, he uses the word joy or rejoice. Let me tell you something. If you're depressed, go home today and read through the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters long. It won't take you long. And then underline whatever the word joy or rejoice is used, and then ask yourself, how does this apply to my circumstance? Because Paul, I don't think any of you, you're obviously here, so you're not in prison. And, and you know, your life is probably not as messed up as Paul's was. And in the midst of this, he says, I can have joy no matter what because of my faith and my, my trust in Christ. So let me close with these three things. How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances? Number one, I can be joyful in spite of my circumstances if I realize because God is with me. If I realize God is with me. Folks, it says this in Isaiah. It says this throughout the scripture, but in Isaiah 43 too, it says, When you pass through the deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. The hard trials that that come will not hurt you, for I am the Lord your God. The fact is, God says that no matter where you are, what you're going through, you're not going through it alone. One of the problems that we often have in our culture and in our world is that when we go through tough times, what do we do, do ourselves personally? We withdraw. And sometimes we not only withdraw from people, we withdraw from God. And that's the worst thing we can absolutely do. So it doesn't have to overwhelm us. God says to each of us, I am with you right now. So you don't have to be over, overwhelmed. You know, matter of fact, it says in Scripture this, it says, Jesus, God says, in my presence is fullness of joy. It says that in Scripture, in my presence is the fullness of joy. You know what that means? It means that anytime I don't have joy, it should be a warning light for me. That I'm not spending time with God. I'm not depending upon God. It means I've forgotten that he's with me. How's it possible to rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances? I can be joyful because God has a plan for me. You know that God has a plan for every one of us and, you're, and, and he's not done with you till he shovels, we shovel dirt over you? Or you're cremated whichever way you're going to go? Well, that's morbid. No, it's reality. See, he's, he's, he's not done with us, folks. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. He's not done with you. He has a plan for you. God isn't worried about the problem you're going through. He knew it was coming. He saw it. He knows how all things work together for good. We sang that song earlier. Remember that? When you were singing the words, did you, did you think about what they meant? See, they're not all good, but you, God can work together, can work all things together if you'll lay those things into the hands of God. That's what he's saying to us. 
It says in Psalm 50, it says, I want you to trust me in the times of trouble so I can rescue you and you can give me glory. It's not about you. It's not, it's not about me. It's about him. And that's one of the things that we can have joy when we trust in him. And finally, how, can I, how is it possible to rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances? I can rejoice because God, he says, I will help you. I will help you. I know you've heard this before, but it's a truth. God says, I will never put more upon you than that. I will give you the ability to bear up. And sometimes we wonder about how close that gets. <laughs> Psalm 43 says, why be so gloomy and discouraged? Trust in God. Then I shall praise him for his wonderful help. He will make me smile again. Love that. So have you lost your joy? Are you discouraged by relationship? See, God says, I'm waiting to help you. Because I want you to have joy, not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. But I want you to have joy. You know, the Bible says that the fruit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Joy. Love. Joy. That means joy is not something that you can manufacture on your own. You can't just work it up. But it is the natural byproduct when you let Jesus Christ live in and through you. That's what it's saying here. The fruit of the Spirit is not something you, you kind of like get up, you know, I'm going to check off my list here and see if I can make myself do these better. No, it says, when you allow the Holy Spirit to, to control your life, the Holy Spirit will produce these in your life. The Holy Spirit does the work. The only thing you have to do is yield to the Spirit every day. So this morning, let me close with this thought. It's interesting to me that the angels, when they came to announce the very, the very first Christmas, and they announced Jesus' birth, remember what the first words were the angels said? They said, I, have, I bring you good news of great joy. And I wonder if, if the people that heard that understood that fully. And I wonder if we embrace that fully because we can understand it now because if you have been in Christ for a while and you know who Christ is, we know what Christ can do in our lives when we yield to the Spirit and let God's Spirit work in us and produce things in us. We're surprised. You ever been surprised by what the Spirit does in your life? If you have discovered that, today I, I tell you the first step in doing that. The first step is allowing God to come into your life and yielding to him. To saying yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. And then for those of you who've already made that step, the next step is say, hey, I, I, I want to yield to your spirit every day. I don't want that spirit to produce in me these fruits, this, this love and this joy. And we'll talk about the other ones along the way. And in doing so, I can experience life in a way I've never experienced it before. But it begins, it begins with trusting him as Lord and Savior. This morning, uh, I, I would encourage you on your bulletin, there's a tab you can pull off, and maybe you've already pulled it off and used it for something. Maybe if you're a first-time guest here or whatever, you've already filled it out. And we told you to go ahead and take, take it back and put it on, uh, place it at the uh, Welcome Center, and we'll give you a gift if you're a first-time visitor. But if you have never made the step of saying yes to Jesus Christ, 
then today is a way that you can begin to take that process. And in doing so, tear off that tab, put your name on one side, and flip over the other side and check the box that says, I want to know how to have a relationship with Christ. And we will connect with you and talk with you about what that is. And if you have other needs in your life, other next steps you need to take, and you're not experiencing joy the way that God wants you to, then, and if you need some, to talk to someone about that as well to encourage you along the way, um, you can use that tab as well and do that and make connection with us as well. Man, I don't, I don't know about you, but I want to experience life to the fullest. I want to have all the fruit of the Spirit in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, just go through the list. I want to have it in abundance, don't you? And it happens only as we allow God's Spirit to take control of our lives and we have a relationship with God on a daily basis. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. We pray that you would just enable us this morning to, uh, to see you, God, in a way that we've maybe not seen you in a long time. To realize, God, that that life is not meant to be lived in a vacuum or even perfect. That life is messy. Relationships are messy. It's not because you designed them that way, God. But it's because you give us the ability to make decisions and we're imperfect people who make imperfect decisions and they affect not only us but the people around us and everybody around us all over the place. But God, you say that we can live even in the midst of imperfect relationships, we can live in, in, a, in a way that, that we can have joy. This, this complete trust and confidence in you in spite of the circumstances of life. Guide us now, God, this day that we would take the next step we need to with you. If there's somebody here who needs to make a step, take a step of trusting you as Lord and Savior, that they would fill out that little form and turn it in and we can sit down, one of us on staff or some person in the church can sit down with them and talk with them about next steps. If, God, there's people in the church that's not experiencing this, that are here this morning not experiencing the joy that you want them to have in their, li- in their life, that you would uh, help them to take the step they need to to recover the joy that they've probably first had in you. Thank you, God, for your incredible love and your goodness to us and that you, you give your spirit to us, God, as, as, as that which would now enable us to live life the way you want us to. Sometimes we really don't understand that, God, but it's very clear in this very, this, these very couple of verses here in, in Galatians that you want us to live life in a different way than the world lives. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. We ask that you would guide us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.